When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the very first Upfront Down Under. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. I'm speaking to you from our hotel room in Sydney. You might be able to hear the rumble of planes taking off in the background during this, but we are finally here and we are ready for the World Cup. It's not the Chloe and Rowe show today because this week we're bringing you not one, but two special interviews. Keep an eye out on Thursday for who Chloe's been speaking to, but today, for the first upfront recorded Down Under, I simply had to speak to an Aussie. I caught up with former Matilda star Alicia Ferguson. Having played at two World Cups and 66 times for Australia, she knows a thing or two about putting on the shirt. Staggeringly, she was just 15 when she won her first cap, and just 17 when she played the 1999 World Cup, but that tournament didn't exactly go to plan. I wanted to ask her about all of that and the expectations surrounding the team today. Let's get into it. Well, welcome, Ish. You've, you've been in and around the Matilda squad um, as Australia's head of delegation. First of all, what is the mood like in camp? I think that's what all of our listeners will want to know, um, first and foremost. Um, what's the mood like in camp? I haven't actually been in camp yet, Rachel, so there you go. So um, I joined up with the team in probably about a week, but... They've been in like a boot camp, like preparation phase for the last couple of weeks. Um, from what I've heard, you know, they're in a nice warm part of Australia, which is always, which always makes them happy. And there's always good coffee around. So that makes them happy as well. But I just think it's the team, you know, they're just in a really good place. You know, everyone's had a really solid season, successful season with their domestic teams back over in Europe. And I think they were just excited. You know, it's like, it's all the anticipation, all the talk. You're, you know, all the build-up and stuff like that. It's, it's similar. I did the Harbour Bridge Walk yesterday and I was like, okay, right, it's happening now. We're here. So I think they're just happy to be on the ground, to be in camp, you know, doing the day in, day out, the training, eat, sleep, repeat. Um, and, yeah, just preparing for what is going to be a pretty epic tournament. I've got it. I missed that Harbour Walk. I, I saw it, um, I think, as we landed halfway and thought, God, if we'd just been a day earlier, we actually could have... Um, done that but it's interesting what you say about kind of the build-up because obviously we can appreciate that from having seen the build-up to the home euros so we can kind of appreciate all of that anticipation um, and as you say like especially the Australian players in, in the WSL they're, they've been kicking ass this season so it must just add to the the build-up the buzz the excitement the expectation yeah absolutely look I, I was very fortunate so I played in the Sydney Olympics in 2000 so it's funny I had this real um, nostalgic moment because we did the uh, the Harbour Bridge walk before 2000. We had a helicopter coming around and and being on the bridge yesterday and just having making it feel real. And I always say this: I'm I'm excited for the players because, as you know, Rachel, you know, hosting a hosting a tournament, a huge tournament, is a pretty special thing and it's a once in a career event. And for us to be able to be the first Southern Hemisphere country to co-host with New Zealand's countries to co-host. Um, 
And to just be able, our players, you know, they don't spend a lot of time. To get home, it's 24 hours to get home to their friends and family. And it's a long way away from home. And they've always plied their trade over in North America or in Europe. So to finally have a tournament on home soil where you can sing the national anthem in front of your friends and family, in front of those people you've missed weddings, you've missed birthdays, you've missed all those really significant moments in your family and friends' life. And now it's kind of like, this is why I've done that. This is, you know, this this is what I've been building my whole career. This is why I spend so much time away from home. And so it was a really special feeling for me personally, being involved in the Sydney Olympics. It was the highlight of my career. And I think it's just, it's a really special moment for these players to be able to enjoy and and embrace and, and kind of the culmination of all their hard work. That's it. Like, you know, it's like, great. Now we can kick in front of our family and friends. It's awesome. Yeah, I guess that's something that we didn't have in the Euros is playing in England. That's easy pretty much for everyone to get to. Lots of people and teams have kind of done that, been there before, done the couple of hours flight max. Um, you're literally inviting the world to the other side of the world for a lot of teams. Um, and I, I reckon that probably builds the anticipation for all the other teams as well, because, you know, along with New Zealand, you're kind of you're putting on a showcase for your home as well. Yeah, look, and it's all, we're so far away, aren't we? I mean, believe me, I know, and I feel for the players, we are a long way away. So to be co-hosting with Australia, with New Zealand, both of our countries, uh, whenever you say you're from Australia or from New Zealand, the immediate answer is, oh, I've always wanted to go. Oh, I can't wait. Like, I've heard great things about it. So even not just for the fans to be able to have an excuse to come all the way over the other side of the world to support their team, it you know, it's great for for the players of the other teams as well. Because even for that, you know, there's a lot of these nations competing in the World Cup. And if we weren't hosting a World Cup, we'd never have any opportunity to actually experience Australia and New Zealand. So it's a very unique tournament from that perspective. Add to that, we've got like record number ticket sales because we're obsessed with sport and we love sport and we love inviting people over here and tourism is a huge part of what we are. It's just, I think that like, you know, we, we know how unique we are as a country. We overachieve in the sporting sense, but now we get to invite everyone from around the world. And what is like, you know, I always say this, we're really lucky. We're in the global game. You know, football is a global language. It's like a true international language. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think the, the excitement levels from the fans is that like, and you'll see it, Rachel, you'll see it when you start landing on the ground. I mean, give, give Aussies beer, sport, they're happy, happy campers. So, you know, you add into that, you know, a home world cup and the Matildas on show, it's just like happy days. Like I had a, I can totally get that because I had a very surreal experience on the steps of Sydney Opera House today. Like just to, to, I've left my house over 28 hours ago or whatever it was and then suddenly to be standing on the steps it was quite a surreal moment um, how far do fans and media kind of feel like or expect this Australian team to go um, look there's expect- There's always going to be ex- external expectations of course there's going to be external expectations I think me being involved with the team and knowing it as a player you, you forget about all that white noise it, it's purely about the process when you're in a tournament and and you'll hear it and it sounds like the cliche but it is one game at a time it is literally you prepare for that first game it's one game at a time because even even in domestic seasons and stuff like that athletes don't think too far ahead you just can't they don't have the mental capacity 
to focus too much. It's like, right, what's happening next uh, tomorrow in training? What's going to be our focus on that? And it's literally, it's a similar process for a World Cup. Um, obviously, at the start of 2022, there were kind of cries of disaster when Australia crashed out of the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup to South Korea. But since then, they've things have really turned around um, quite dramatically on the pitch, like, you know, including that 2-0 win over England um, back in April and, and beating that un- unbeaten record. Um, what's changed in that kind of year, 18 months or so? You know what? It's not even just the 18 months. It's actually... It's probably been from about 2020 when the new administration came in, when Tony got appointed as the head coach. Um, James Johnson, our CEO, they both had a look at our scheduling in the games that we'd played previously. And we weren't playing enough top 10 teams. We just weren't. We weren't playing enough top 10 teams to start really challenging ourselves. To We've always been there and abouts, but that was a real focus from James and from Tony as well. And the other thing that Tony brought in was he needed more depth in our squad. And that was a huge, we've had a lot of, there was a lot of new players introduced. That always takes time. We did really well in the Olympics and we had a very similar preparation to what we're having for this World Cup. But bringing in some newer players, some younger players, our players having a break towards the middle of last year because they'd been playing nonstop for the best part of eight years. They're all quite, may seem externally of of risky things when you're not getting the results or the results are quite poor, but... None of that really mattered. All, all The whole plan from 2020 has been leading up to 2023. So what's changed? What's changed is that we're, we're just at a really nice place where, you know, everything's coming together at the right time. Those players have been bedded in. Our players have had a break and they've been really successful. And I think you can even see that in their performances and how they're playing at their club level as well. You know, and being in those environments over in Europe too, I think, is just taking our game to another level, but also playing against the best teams in the world. You know, we got absolutely smashed against Spain last year, and then we beat them in the Cup of Nations earlier this year. And okay, it may have been slightly depleted squad, but it's still Spain, and they've still got some very, very good players. So that's the difference. We've we've started pitting ourselves against the tougher teams, so we can really start testing ourselves and pushing ourselves to be better. Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of managing expectation as well because we're all so impatient in football and we want to see like <laughs> everything change overnight. Um, obviously, we have to talk about the documentary. Um, you know, a new six-part Disney Plus documentary about the Matildas came out earlier this year. Um, I understand you were part of making it as well. You were involved in it. Um, how much access did you have with the team while filming? You know, what was your kind of lasting impression of the squad? I've watched it, really enjoyed it and, and was there for that, um, the kind of launch of of that uh, documentary at the Australian High Commission, which was brilliant. Yeah, so I was pretty lucky. I was actually on another pitch for it, for a documentary, actually, with another production company. But um, obviously, having been a former Matilda and also working in TV production, I think it was pretty important just to have someone I was I was representing Football Australia on behalf of it. And just really just to bridge that gap between documentary making and high performance. You know, it's a pretty it's a very fine balance to get and and by the you know by the end of it we had the same crew for the whole time everyone was really familiar we were just kind of part of the furniture but it definitely helped me reconnect to to what it means to be a Matilda but also a couple of things it made me realize how busy these girls are and how busy their schedules are and adding on to that coming back to Australia for multiple international windows um, you know, the travel load and the loading on those players because we are so far away is can be quite tough at times. But also it just made me realise that no matter what generation of Matildas they are, 
we've all still got the same amount of pride and yes playing for Australia and putting on the green and gold but there's something really strong about being a Matilda now you know we've, we've kind of had that name and to begin with it was kind of in the early days or just before I got into the national team when the poll came out we were called Matildas and everyone was like a bit like oh that's a stupid name but, but now like it holds so much authority and so much like passion and so much pride that I was like oh yeah, and that never changes. You know, these girls are all professional footballers now. I wasn't professional. I was semi-professional back in the day. But it's like they're living the life that every footballer before them dreamed of having. And it's, you know, they're doing us all proud. And they're great role models for everyone. And um, no, I can totally understand that, you know, when you've got a name that like, you know, it kind of shows as well. It's a great example of how far women's sports has come now because you say Lionesses, you say Matildas, you don't kind of have to explain who they are or what the teams are. People know who they are. Um, there was a documentary made as well about the Matildas in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Never Say Die. Um, you were involved mm-hmm. in that as well. Did, did that help <laughs> with this one at all? Kind of knowing what was going to be expected? I just, no one can get rid of me. That's the problem. I just pop up everywhere. <laughs> Just pop up everywhere. So I was still, I was playing at that. So that was in 2007 was my last World Cup. So I was in the squad then. And it was a similar type thing. You know, there was some, it was based around profiles and, and stuff like that. And the game was in a different place back then. I think when you've got a company like Disney, Disney Plus, who, are, who have decided to go big and put a lot of funding and investment into this because of who our Matildas are and what they represent, that's a game changer. That's an absolute game changer. And I think... And Rachel, you know this, when I was at the embassy and I said this, you know, someone asked me to describe the doco in one word and I just said connection. I just think you get you get a little bit of insight into the players' personalities and who they are away from football. And I think that we're, that's really unique with us in women's football. I know you would find this. We still have that access and that connection, don't we? And we need to, and I know there's still professionalization, but I think it's a really nice, part of women's football that we really need to try and protect and continue to nurture and continue to support happening going forward because you know that that engagement level is just huge isn't it it's just huge that personal connection that you can get with some of the best players in the world is pretty special yeah I I couldn't agree more it's one of the most special parts I think of probably not just women's football but even like women's sport yeah women's sport yeah absolutely yeah speaking of one of the best in the world and um, watching that documentary you you, you kind of picked up on how keenly Sam Kerr feels the pressure to score constantly for club country how do you think she's going to respond to a home world cup but it, it seems like she's just she cannot wait for it to get started <laughs> that's the thing like with all our players you know we say we talk about the pressure and the white noise but they're playing in front of you know Steph and Caitlin are playing in front of sold out Emirates at the Champions League so I, I think it's just business as usual. You know, Sam Sam thrives on that pressure. She puts the pressure on herself. She can deflect all the rest of it. All she wants to do, she, I think she said something really profound in the documentary where she said, I hate losing more than I love winning. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. She is a winner. She is a winner and she wants to score goals. And if she's not scoring goals, she thinks she's not doing her job or she believes she's not doing her job, but she thrives on that pressure as well. And I think that's that's what the greatest players in the world that's the makeup of them. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, get 30, bet get 20, 20, 20, bet get 20, 20, bet get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So um, I'm wondering if this is maybe pressure or something that you can relate to. Um, you know, you, you played in your first World Cup at 17 in 99. And um, as many might know, you were sent off within about 90 seconds uh, against China. And I've, and I've since spoken about how you probably let the occasion get to you. Um, talk us through those feelings and, and playing on such a big stage with that kind of pressure. Yep, you're absolutely spot on. I did the... I wasn't desensitized to those big occasions. It was New York Giants Stadium. There was thirty or 40,000 people in there. It was our third game of the World Cup, the first game I'd started. It was a bit of a surprise, and and I got I let the occasion get to me. I, I forgot about the process. I was thinking about the outcome. I was thinking about, you know, scoring a winning goal, and and I didn't prepare myself well enough. I didn't sleep the night before, and then, you know, I made a, a rash challenge. There was no malice in it, but it was pretty badly mistimed. It was FIFA Fair Play Day, which didn't help, and I got sent off. But, you know, that was not that I would wish that experience on many people, but it it immediately changed my approach to football, and it just was, it was process then. It was about, okay, what do I need to do? It's about the process. It's about controlling the controllables. You can't think too far ahead. But all our players are doing this week in, week out. They're doing it week in, week out. They're playing in Champions League. They're playing to sold-out crowds at the Emirates. 40,000 people at Stamford Bridge. They're playing in the biggest stadiums. So I think they're just conditioned to it. They're, they're conditioned to it. And that's that's why it doesn't, you know, there's a lot of questions around the pressure and historically home teams don't do as well. But I think all our players are pretty good at just butting out the white noise. And, and once we get into camp, and I know the Lionesses did this and they made some decisions about, you know, specifically what they wanted in camp when they got into the tournament and and they're all the types of discussions that our team is having as well so and you know that's that's also you know it's great because we've got a great example of a home team who's won a euros and now we can kind of take that and go ah so that worked for them that's quite clever okay great you know and take that as a as a fantastic example and also as as motivation that you can actually win when you're hosting a tournament and you've got all that pressure yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, for you, that obviously was a big learning curve. Uh, and I guess, as you said, shaped the way you then played because you carried on playing. Um, and as you mentioned, the World Cup in 2007. Do you ever have players kind of ask you about that? Or do you ever speak to players about kind of that managing the pressure? And have you do you need to provide advice? Or do you feel like they're all just a bit kind of, they know how to do it now, the game's professional, they kind of have more of those experiences to help them deal with something like this? Yeah, look, look. I know a lot of the, you know, there's a there's a handful of players that I actually played in the Matildas with, and actually there's some of those players when they were coming along, which made me think mm, it's time for me to retire because these players are excellent. You know, they're the new generation coming through. So I don't, I don't, I've got a friendship with some of the players. I don't offer them advice if they ask. You know, we might have some casual chats about just general general subjects and stuff like that. But exactly like you say, they're all professionals. 
Like these girls have been doing it. They've they've lived the professional life. As I say, I was I was a full time athlete. I was still training the same number of hours as them, but I was still an amateur. I still had to work full time. Um, that's not to say that you know the effort or intensity or application or anything, but there were other things outside that. Like these girls are these girls are in another stratosphere, and I know I love it. I love seeing it. I actually love because I'm learning off them about what it's like and what it takes to be a professional athlete in the modern game today so i think i'm probably learning a hell of a lot more from them than they could ever or need to learn from me to be honest and i would never expect them that they need that i think that's one thing i got from the lionesses during the euros and it's probably the same for the matildas is that the excitement to play a home tournament far outweighs the pressure of playing a home tournament and i feel like that's what's driving them yeah absolutely i mean if you're not going to get excited and enjoy it then you're missing a huge opportunity aren't you and just remember, look, I think we're in a really good space. I think we're really, we've got a consistent starting 11. I think we've got a consistent style of play. We've got a consistent formation. And I think we've got some crucial players who are doing very well. I think Caitlin Ford's, you know, hitting her peak. Having Ellie Carpenter back down that right-hand side is pretty exciting. Refreshed and saying that she feels better physically than she has ever before. You know, when I think it, see that stuff, I think the addition of Claire Hunt that we've got at the back, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of good things. And then depth on the bench as well, which, which again, Serena Wiegmann and, and the Lionesses, it was crucial, wasn't it? You know, it was even her consistent, like, approach to it and then the similar substitutions every single game. Everyone knew what their roles and responsibilities were. I feel like we're at that point now as well, which is which is pretty promising. Yeah, and listen, I I don't mind if they get off to a slow start, personally. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Um... <laughs> I, know, I know, of course. <laughs> um, it's interesting you touched on, on depth there. A report by the Football Federation Australia in 2020 identified that some of the concerns with various aspects of Australia's national and domestic setups, suggesting that Australia in that four-year playing cycle had become kind of over-reliant on a core group of Matildas. Mm. You've touched now on that, that depth and how that has changed um do you think that's going to be is that is that a key as well to how they've started to just to start to improve as you said from 2020 yeah absolutely i mean if you think of the some of the younger players i mean having katrina gory back in the fold as well i like i've known minnie since she was 13 years old and it's i love i mean she's always been a fantastic player where she is at now in her personal life and in her professional life as a footballer i'm just like brilliant like so love having minnie there kyra cooney cross playing in that double pivot role with Minnie as well. You know, unfortunately, you know, Ellie getting injured was pretty heartbreaking at the time, but it gave Charlie Grant an opportunity to come in. Charlie, like, what a wonderful prospect that she is. Then the likes of the Courtney Bynes. Yeah, we've got we've got some good depth, we've got some good pace, and we've got dangerous players, and we're, and we're not relying on just one person to score goals. And I think that's really important for any... Any tournament winning team, you need more than one player that's going to be scoring you goals. And I think we're at that stage now. Um, you know, when you host a, a home tournament, we always talk about legacy. Um, can you can you tell me in a sentence, if that's even possible, what do you want this tournament to leave behind? So more than memories, more than memories. And, and I've got to give credit to so Sarah Walsh, who is a former teammate of mine, and she's the general manager of Women's Football at Football Australia. She's been heading up an actual Legacy 23 program, which is going for equality in the game. It's going for better facilities, female-specific facilities, better infrastructure, and better participation. 
and the amount of government funding, the we're over $300 million in government funding for all these pillars, for the pillars of the Legacy 23 program. And that was James Johnson, our CEO, who wanted this tournament to be more than memories. And I think that's actually been such an important part of the the actual the the journey of this of this because it's so easy, right? Okay, the World Cup's gone, and then what what's better? How are we better off? But you know, the the hard work that's been going on behind the scenes has been pretty extraordinary and just like great again. Like I love still being involved in the game. I love seeing Walshy doing amazing things in that space as well. And it's just nice because, you know, you, we're, we've got those transferable skills as athletes, but sometimes they get, you know, people just want to go into coaching or they want to go into media type stuff. So, you know, to see the stuff that Walsh has been doing on this, to run this Legacy 23 program is just like, it's inspiring. Like she's a, she's a bloody legend. Like I keep saying to her, the amount of work that she's put in, <laughs> it's just incredible. I think like, it's so good to see players being kept within the game because I feel like you can teach someone I don't know marketing or or you know the business side of things but you can't teach them that experience and that passion that you've had for playing for the badge and for the jersey so it's so important to keep people like that within the game um it's interesting what you said there because I remember during the Euros I think it was maybe after the Sweden game and it kind of an impassioned speech from, speech from Ian Wright saying if if girls can't play football after this you know what what are we doing here um, and it sounds like Australia already have that or are already thinking about what we're doing here. It's almost regardless of what happens in the tournament. You know, the legacy has to exist regardless of kind of performance. It doesn't rely on, on the performance of the team. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we've always been really lucky, I think, because, again, just back to being, you know, I, I was pretty surprised, actually, at some of the things, you know, in the UK about girls not having access to football at school. You know, I played football from a young age. I was the only girl on the boys team. It was all very acceptable and really accessible as well, because we're a sportsman nation. And not to say that we've been, you know, miles ahead on anything, because every, every country has their challenges. But it, it's more about we've got a lot of competition over here. We've got a lot of competition with other sporting codes. AFL Women's is going really well, cricket, even rugby league. So we want to stay at the pinnacle. We want to make sure that we continue with that participation and and actually having all those other underpinning things sorted as well. And the World Cup's been a great opportunity to start knocking on doors and government officials and go, well, hang on a second. It's not good enough. Like, we need more of this. And we need to make it sustainable for the long term. And I think that's where it's, um, yeah, I think, you know, as a federation, I think the FA should be pretty proud of what they have achieved up until now and, and what they can achieve going forward after this World Cup. Yeah, 100%. Um, so it, it all begins on the 20th of July. Obviously, New Zealand kick it off. But here in Australia, it begins at Stadium Australia against Ireland. <laughs> How do you see this game going? And, and bear in mind who you're speaking to. Don't be too harsh. Oh, I know, Rachel. Oh, I know. You know what? I... Look, it's Ireland are a good team. I, I, I feel like I feel, you know we've got a, we've got a we've got a tough group. I think that's not like Ireland have good players. Yeah. They've got good structure. You know, last time we played you, there was Sam Kerr's hundredth cap, and we lost. So look, I don't. I feel like whether this is reverse psychology from you, Rachel, I'm on to you. So don't. I'm not going to fall for it. <laughs> it's reverse psychology. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough match. It's the first match of a tournament. So. You know, we'll see what happens. I'll see you in the stands somewhere. Let's um Yes. Let's see. Let's just promise to hug after whatever happens. We will whatever <laughs> happens. I just whatever I can't happens. believe Ireland are at a World Cup. That's my biggest thing. I'm just like I've got my 
accreditation through. I'm going to be pitch side for this match. It's going to be insane. Like, it's going to be amazing. You know, I talk about how excited I am, but even exactly like you say, for Ireland, like, tell me how excited you are. Because now, yeah, you get to, and also football and your job has taken you. Now you're going to be pitch side watching Ireland in their first game in yeah. front of 80,000 people in Australia. I like, I don't think it's fully settled in yet that Ireland have qualified for major tournament until I see them out on the pitch um, and to be, to get to be at that game. I get like, obviously, as you said, really hard group. And I do think this group is one of the hardest. It, it's got mm. so many different, like different teams that show different types of football, um, which is, you know, difficult to prepare for. Um, and obviously opening against the hosts is a hard thing to do but actually isn't that the dream for your debut at a major tournament to play against the hosts in a country like Australia you've got bloody loads of Irish down here I feel like the the atmosphere is going to be wild honestly if if there's ever going to be like what could feel like a home game (laughs) away from your own country it is Ireland playing in Australia I mean there's an Irish pub on every single corner you know this I mean (laughs) it's just I bet, and I, th- I think that's really good for us Aussies as well because I think, you know, as far as if I'm thinking about the Irish approach to supporting their team and fandom and stuff, that stadium is going to be heaving. It's, yeah, to kick it off, to kick it off with that is just going to, it's going to be, I think, absolutely perfect. And also the perfect kind of question to end this interview on is is to talk about that. So we'll, we'll leave exactly. it on a, on a positive note where we're both just really excited about what's going to happen. I'll see you in Sydney. That's where I'll see you in person. So big I, hugs. I, big I, hugs before yes. the game, big hugs after the game. Agreed. Promise to do that, whatever happens. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Upfront. Chloe will be with you on Thursday with Haitian midfielder Danny Etienne. Haiti are, of course, England's first opponents, and they are starring in their first ever Women's World Cup. In the meantime, remember to hit subscribe in your podcast app to never miss an episode throughout the World Cup. See you on Thursday. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.